Till the tears run down from my eyes Lord, somebody, ooh, somebody Can anybody find me? Alexa, play hits from Queen. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Hey, podcast listeners. This is your humble host, Michael Smalley, and I just wanted to take a moment of your time before the show gets going to remind you about our online membership. It is an incredible resource to help you build a better relationship where we have taken all of our best video series and converted them into online courses. You can check out how to become a member at smalleyinstitute.com. Hello, my favorite listeners. Today, we have a very special guest who, frankly, is just another super famous marriage expert who has the first name of Gary. You've probably heard of him before and even read his best-selling book, Sacred Marriage. But on the show today is author Gary Thomas, and we're going to ask him why a good marriage has to start with a funeral, of all things. Welcome to Smalley Marriage Radio. I am your host, Michael Smalley, along with my co-host, Seth Johnson. And welcome for the first time on Smalley Marriage Radio, Gary Thomas. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michael. Thank you. Does it? Do you feel like you've kind of reached the pinnacle of your career by being on our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it, it couldn't be better. Yeah, this is it. Hey, this is the <laughs> this big is what time. I dreamed of when I was eight years old. Uh, I'm going to be on Michael Smalley's podcast. Someday, someday. <laughs> if you're lucky, and today is your lucky day, Gary. So uh, how often do you ever do, have you ever been confused with my father? Because there's oh, Gary Chapman, the Gary Thomas, Gary Smalley. And the running joke is that three of us just decided we would just sign any book that's placed in front of us. <laughs> and, you know, I, I would just love it when somebody would say, yeah, I just can't tell you how God used you to change my life. <laughs> Uh, the five love languages have just revolutionized my marriage. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I've probably watched uh, so, my father yeah. sign over a hundred of those five love language books. I think he's outsold <laughs> both of you combined on that one title. <laughs> it's like the entire world has read five love languages and they don't know who the author is. Well, you know, I wouldn't mind if the publishers sent the yeah. the royalty <laughs> checks to the wrong Gary. I'll I'll take that. <laughs> That's right. true. That could have that could have led to that vacation home in Newport Beach you've been dreaming about. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gary, I, I actually have a question here off the top, and we'll get into that because I was browsing your website and I saw that you have a super cool look at free free ebook called "Every Good Marriage Begins with a Funeral." But before we kind of give an overview or idea of what in the world you're talking about there, what was it that inspired you to get into writing? And I don't know, was Sacred Marriage one of your first books on marriage, or had you done a few before that? It was actually the fourth. The fourth and, book. You know, it, it was. And I'd heard a fiction writer say, and I think this is true, the people that tend to succeed at writing aren't people that just want to be a writer. They're people that feel like they need to. 
And, and for me, that was true. And it was also a little bit of desperation in that I have a shockingly limited skill set. <laughs> um, not, not very good with numbers. I'm a mechanical idiot, huge sports fan, but not athletically gifted. I don't like to be in charge of people. I hate <laughs> meetings. And so... How have if, you if succeeded in life? Thing <laughs> if the writing speaking thing didn't work out, my family would have been in, in a difficult place. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very grateful to God that it did. But um, the, the reason it was a fourth is I'd written three books on spiritual formation, how we okay. grow in God. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that marriage was probably the most formative thing in my life. I was challenged more. My sin was revealed to me more. And nobody had written a book about it. All the marriage books were about how to have a better marriage, how to improve your marriage, how to increase joy in your marriage, which, which has a place. But I didn't have the skill set of the people writing those books. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. But I thought, well, here's an aspect of spiritual formation that, that I don't think has been looked at. And so in one sense, it was my limitations that led me to write a book on marriage that just seemed different to people. And I think that's what helped it take off. It, I wasn't competing to, to go back to what we said, sorry, I wasn't competing with the Gary Smalley's or the Gary Chapman's or the Jim Dobson's. I was, I was kind of going in a different direction. And I didn't know that at the time, but I think that's a big part of its success. So maybe I should write a book. Yeah. Since clearly I, <laughs> I don't have any sort of competition with yourself or Michael or these other greats. Maybe that's the key. I should just write a, write a book. <laughs> How do you keep a beautiful woman married to you for a couple decades? There you go. There it is. Done. There's my title. (laughs) And wow, you really nailed that one, too, because he did marry a beautiful woman, and somehow she's still with him. And I just have to now be married a couple decades. So I got at least 15 years to go. All right. (laughs) Well, Gary, I love hearing, because it it sounds like your path or journey to writing that first marriage book was very similar to my own father's path, where he felt extremely inept and unqualified and frankly was not a very good husband and father when when he first married my mother and that sort of sparked him to go on this journey of trying to learn anything and everything he could on how to be a good husband and father so what like was there a specific crisis or was it just sort of an overall because i mean marriage is difficult for everyone no one's free from that yeah but how did how did that motivate you to write well, let me go back and say, if only he knew, I think, was the first marriage book I read. Really? Believe it or not. Everybody read that. Wow. And then, um, boy, then the follow-up woman's one was, uh, if only for he better, knew. And then, for better or best. Yeah. For, yeah. So, well, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't desperate. See, I'm, I'm glad I wrote Sacred Marriage when I did. We've been married 12 or 13 years. It came out when I was, had been married 15 years. Because I, I do think even the best of marriages are difficult in their own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I, I felt like most books at the time were trying to tell you, here's how you have a better marriage. Here's how you have an easier marriage. And I was just taking a step back. What if God didn't design it to be easy? You know, I had a background in running. I've loved running all my life. And sometimes you want a hard workout. That's, it's the pain that helps you improve. Although I don't appreciate it when I'm running a marathon, but people always have signs right in front of the hills pain is weakness leaving the body. Well, when a guy's sitting there eating a donut, holding a sign, and you're <laughs> that, was, 15 that, was, <laughs> that was me, Gary. <laughs> but, but there's truth in that. And I thought, well, why can't we accept that with marriage? That there are some parts about marriage, and it goes back to the ebook that you talked about, that, that are difficult, that call us to die to ourselves. But, 
But maybe that's one of the purposes of marriage. It could be a good thing. So I, I, I wasn't going through a crisis in my marriage. It was just trying to find the purpose behind the difficulty that radically changed the way I viewed my marriage so that I could start to here was the key, Michael. I started to appreciate some of the things about marriage that I used to resent. Uh-huh. And and that's when my marriage really changed. Wow. That's huge. I can't tell you how many times, because you know we have the marriage intensive program for couples in crisis where they come for two days or three days in a row from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to look at people and go, you know, these things that you guys keep melting down over or that you think are the the worst thing ever, have you, has it ever, you know, has it ever occurred to you to think that, wait a minute, maybe these are good things. Maybe these are, because it sounds like what you're saying is when we, marriage is probably the greatest thing God gave us to mature us, right? Because we have to, we have to become selfless. We have to learn how to be kind. We have to learn how to turn the other cheek and walk the extra mile and, and do, and forgive. uh, Because you're not going to have a very good marriage without those things. Yeah. Well, I'd certainly say it's one of the greatest things because I, I do think single people can grow in the Lord, and of course. often it's through relationships as well, and I, I, I know you mean that. But, yeah, I, I think one of the biggest lies, and this is kind of what was behind that ebook, is when people say, well, I want you to love me for who I am. And, and it sounds so romantic, but there are two dozen passages I could point, point to in the New Testament where God calls us to grow, to... Um, purify yourself from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Uh, when we're called in, in so many places to, to make every effort, this is Peter, to add to your faith, and then he lists all the virtues, you know, self-faithfulness, self-control, and all of those things. There's so many times where we're called to become a different kind of person that the, the, the Christian life is about dying to who we are, and becoming more like Jesus, and, and that's the funeral. My marriage will be better when I'm burying the old man. I, I've said this so often to young couples. They're so worried about falling out of love. But neurologically, that feeling of infatuation has a shelf life of 12 to 18 months. It's going to happen, and I know people hate that, that I'm mm-hmm. reducing it to neurochemicals, but the reality <laughs> is your brain is what it is. Unless you have a damaged brain, it can't sustain an infatuation. So don't worry so much about falling out of love. Worry about falling out of repentance. Oh, because wow. it's, it, it's the sins that will ultimately destroy your relationship. When people come in and talk to me, I'm sure, Mike, when they come to you for the intensive because I can't fix them, then I send them to you. Yes. Just for listeners to know. <laughs> Thank you for I, I that. I send a lot of couples to you, and I've had great responses. I really have, because like, well, you know what? This is over my head. Go see Michael. <laughs> but, uh, well, and let, let me just give a plug for that, because there are some issues where with pastoral counseling, when I can meet with a couple a few times, and we can tweak a few things and help them apply a couple things. But if you're facing real issues in your marriage, once a week marriage counseling for an hour isn't going to do it. It's not going to cut it. And and I think pastors need to recognize when they're point they're past the point of being able to help. I, I remember 
when I, I shattered an arm on a run um, some years ago, and I went into the emergency room. Wait a minute. Time out. Took, you can't just skip over that. How do you shatter an arm when you're on a run? Because I think you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it was a really cold day. I was crossing a railroad track, and my foot hit the track, and what? I slammed down full weight on my wrist. And oh, my, gosh. It, I heard it. Yeah. But, but the do doctor it. looked... The doctor took one look at the x-ray and said, I can't fix that, and called in a surgeon. And I think the best pastors are those that recognize, I can't fix this. I need to call in a surgeon. It's not a statement of defeat. It's you're part of the healing process. You're there to diagnose it. You're the funnel that draws the people in. You've preached a sermon. You've written a book or something that draws people. But there's a time when you need to say, you need to work with somebody that could spend 10 to 15 hours with you mm-hmm. and really get into these issues and, and help. So I'm a huge fan of intensive counseling, but it's because I think that we all need to grow. And so this sense of, yeah, in one sense, I want my wife to love me just as I am, but I want her to inspire me to grow just as God loves me as I am. But he says, but Gary, you don't have to be a slave to your passions. You don't have to w- operate out of your shame. You don't have to be petty. You don't have to respond to evil with evil. Those are things I, I want to be. I want to be a person who doesn't have to do that. And so marriage and God can call me to become a better person. And that's when I think marriage improves. It's become the kind of people who in, somebody wants to be married to. Yeah. Man, I think Seth and I just made an executive decision to just kind of sit back in our chairs and allow you to say whatever comes to your mind. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to call you every day for the podcast and then Good let grief. you go. No, I am so impressed. And I cannot thank you enough. Those were very kind words about the intensive and I think at this point, I'm just hoping I didn't promise like uh, an endorsement fee or <laughs> I can't I can't remember. <laughs> so okay, so we we kind of teased her at the beginning. You've sort of you've sort of hinted at what you mean in that free ebook on to have a good marriage. It needs to start with a funeral. So what exactly does that mean to sort of lay down your life or or die to yourself? Yeah, I, I think the biggest killer of marriages most often is selfishness. Yeah. And, and just about every sin is traced back to selfishness, affairs. I'm more concerned about my pleasure than the oath I made to you. I'm more concerned about enjoying this moment than the hell I'm going to put you through when you find out what I've mm-hmm. just done. I'm going to spend my money where I want to spend my money. I want to leave my stuff here because it's convenient for me to leave my stuff here, even though it bugs you. And so if you want to become married, that's about two people becoming one. And part of you has to die so that you can join together as a couple. I just think it's foolish to try to get married and then treat yourself like you're single. It's the whole thing with lying. And I know you see this a lot, Michael, but I really hit this hard in premarital counseling. If you already feel like you have to lie to this person, don't marry him. Who, who wants to hide from, for the next 50 years from somebody they're so intimate with that they live with every day? Uh, you know, somebody that's worried that they're going through your wallet. You're, they're worried that they're looking at the history on your computer. I said, that the problem is, why are you worried that they'll find something? Yeah. If you've got to lie, that's a real problem. I'm not so worried about the person who's suspicious. I'm worried about the problem who's defensive because <laughs> I'm thinking, well, here's where it came down to me. I asked myself one time, what, what does Lisa have a problem with that God doesn't have a problem with? 
And I realize if I'm hiding from my wife, I'm pretty much hiding from God. Now, my wife may be a little more strict with food than God is. She's the world's most perfect eater. <laughs> and I'm not sure that God thinks I'm killing myself if I have a chocolate chip cookie once a week or that I'm basically made a pact with the devil if I have a Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> my wife might think that. But, but other than that, pretty much if I'm worried about Lisa finding out about something, you know what? God probably has a problem with it as well. So I should embrace, I should embrace the accountability of marriage because otherwise I'm saying I don't want to be the person that God wants me to be. I'm comfortable with being in rebellion against God. And so going into marriage is really going into the funeral saying, you know what, they're going to learn all about me anyway, but the things that they learn about me that are displeasing need to die. So why don't I go into marriage with an attitude, okay, I got to let it die so that a new man can be born. It's the message of Christianity, death and resurrection. Yeah. Taking off, putting on, as Paul put it in another place. And you know, Gary, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this because it's something I've started to say, oh, maybe in the last year or two of... And it's it feels like it's it's related to this very issue of of sacrificing, laying your life down, death, resurrection, is with couples so many times, right? They come in with such a negative attitude because it's like they believe the individual believes that I have the right. This is my right. And what I've started saying recently is, you know what? The only right that we have is death. And because yeah. Jesus did what he did, then we can overcome that by believing in him and obeying his commands. But you don't have a right to anything but death. Am I, I could be way off theologically. Well, you know, uh, there, and uh, I, this is, uh, the, look, the podcast listeners aren't going to believe this, but I'm saying this before God. They're going to think I'm, this is, that you've paid me as a commercial or something. But I did, <laughs> I, I did refer another couple to you a week ago. But you're not going to thank me for him because literally another <laughs> staff member came in and said, I could feel their contempt before I turned the corner. Yeah. I mean, they just, they're filled with contempt for each other. And the wife was speaking here in the room and, and the guy, the husband is, is next to her. And I just looked at him and I said, do you want to deal with what should be or what is? I said, because if you keep this attitude, he wanted the marriage to go on. She's pretty much done with it. I said, if you don't change this attitude this marriage is over. Whether you're right and it's over, whether you're wrong or it's over. If you don't want it to be over, you got to completely change the way you're responding to this. And and he is a guy of some intellect, so he could at least see the logic in that. I said, mm -hmm. at this point, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. What matters is the way you're responding, she can never go back to. And she's told you she'll never go back to. And you're responding that way. Your marriage is dead if you don't die to this kind of response. And, and, and that's the kind of thing where, um, you know, it's, we worried about rights, we're worried about what is, but in relationships, it's pretty much, I, I, it is what it is. When you marry a person, you're marrying a real person. And there are certain things that I think we need to die to that might not even be moral issues, but just as an act of kindness, realizing if this is really bugging them, if this is pushing them away, it's something I need to let go. Well, and it, it, you, know, you got me thinking, it's almost like I have the right to forgive. I have the right. I really, my rights are to behave like Jesus behaved for me. And that's really feels like that's what Christ's expectation of his disciples. If, if we're going to claim to be a disciple of Christ, 
then I do have the right to serve and I have the right to lay my life down. I have the right to turn the other cheek and to forgive and to be kind and all the other wonderful fruits of the spirit. Those are kind of the rights that people need to get hung up on, right? Absolutely. I, you know, I think the biggest factor in my marriage that changed it the most, and I've, I've put it in two of the seminar, two of the three seminars I do, um, is, and I try not to be repetitive, but this one was so key, is just remembering that you're married to God's son or God's daughter. And when I think of how much God has loved me and has forgiven me and is loving me and is forgiving me, that every day he doesn't give up. And every day I give him a reason to say, Gary, you of all people should be past this. I'm done with you. If God said that on any given day, I couldn't complain. It would be a statement of justice. And yet every day he's affirming, he's accepting, he's forgiving, he's empowering. And then when he says to me, when he treats me like that every day and has now throughout my entire life, he says, and Gary, here's my daughter. And I have two daughters. She's really special to me. One of the best ways you can love me is by loving her. Now, he's not a stranger to me. He's a guy that I owe everything to. The fact that I'm alive. The fact that I'm a human. The fact that I have eternal hope. And so when he says what seems to me a relatively small task, love my daughter out of reverence for me, out of gratitude, then it's, then it's like, my rights don't matter. Forgiving her, I can never forgive my wife as much as God has forgiven me. I can never serve my wife, God's daughter, as much as God has served me. And and I think when Jesus talked about that parable, you know, to, to whom much is, you know, those who for, feel that they've been forgiven much will love much, that's the story of our life. That, that I see people that just have, I, I'll ask them, I'll ask these couples, because some of them, they're just so filled with what the other person is doing wrong. I think, do you think the gap between you and God is smaller than the gap of holiness between you and your spouse? Mm. And they can never say yes, but they were kind of acting like that. And they, and they kind of see it. And I said, you don't realize how much you've been forgiven. Because you're acting like, well, I could do this if my spouse was perfect. I could forgive if I know it's never going to happen again. I could, and, and there's a certain point where you say, look, here's the situation. This, this is what God has forgiven you. Now, just because I said that, Michael, let me just step in because I know you would agree with this too. I'm not talking about domestic violence right. here. I'm not yeah. talking about abuse. If we have a wife who's there, it's not about forgive and then forgive and then forgive again. We're not talking about marriages from which women need to be saved. We're talking about marriages that should be saved, and wow. there's a difference. There is. So we, we, we're talking about um, you know understanding our right place in these relationships with God and how much we've been forgiven and how much we should then do the same. But then when when someone isn't behaving that way and when they have that they're acting this in complete selfishness, what is it that fuels that? Like, is it, are we just saying it's just our innate um, sin nature is like, what is it? Well, yeah. I mean, James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You, you have desires that aren't being met. You have, and you get not. And so part of it, I think, just comes back to realizing that my selfishness and my pride is a heavy burden that my wife and kids have had to bear their entire lives. Now, God's going to forgive me for those, and I'm still going to go to heaven, and everything's going to be okay, but if I don't die to those things, my family pays the price 
for my immaturity more than I will in a lot of ways. Mm. And, and so it's just trying to, when I get into these situations, uh, one of the bigger things for me was, okay, is the problem here my annoyance or what's annoying me? Am I annoyed that I have to do this just because it inconveniences me? And, and shouldn't I be more appalled that I'm annoyed by this as if I could live with a wife and kids and not be occasionally put out or have a hobby interrupted or have a job suffer or whatnot in order to love them? Isn't the problem more that I expect I can have the benefits of being a husband and father without the price and responsibilities? Isn't that really the problem? Well, so now I'm looking at these interruptions more as, ah, Gary, you just, you're just impatient. You're just hmm. proud. You're just selfish. You're arrogant. And so I really started to look at those things of marriage that graded against me in a different light. The problem is more often my annoyance than what was annoying me. So I'm curious, Gary, what do you say to the person then who's in a marriage? Because, you know, this happens a lot where they, they've kind of had the light bulb moment or they've realized their shortcomings and they're getting into counseling or they're reading and they're starting to grow but their spouse isn't, you know? So it's like, I'll have people come up to me at an event uh, after I've preached or whatever. And they'll say, yeah, this is all great, but my spouse is uninvolved or my spouse doesn't, didn't want to come to this event. How, you know, what's the best way that you might encourage someone in that scenario? What I've always said is if you can't give your kids two godly parents, give them one oh. and let your kids <laughs> see the difference. Um, let them see joy that isn't dependent on circumstances. L- let them see uh, strength and peace that isn't broken <laughs> by others. Let them see that God makes a difference in a person's life. They may not see it when they're young. As they get older, they're going to recognize there's a difference between my two parents. One of them has a level of peace and strength and security and joy that the other one just doesn't. So make your faith real. And that's what Paul always talked about. He's talking to wives married to non-believing husbands. Set an example by who you are. When he's writing to Timothy, he says, set an example for those. You know, by, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll say both yourself and your hearers. So the Bible's mode of operation is always give a good example. Let people see the difference. Let your spouse see the difference. And, and I've seen when I've, talking, when I've talked to women who were married to non-believing husbands, the thing that kept coming back is they had to take the first step. One, her husband was into bikes, and so she had to go biking with him. And, and, and often, you know, a woman thinks, well, if you don't go to church with me, I'm not doing your hobby with you. Well, okay, all that does is now you have two things that you don't share. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's fair that you have to go ride bikes with a guy when you don't particularly ride bikes when he won't go to church. But I'm just saying, be the Christian. Be the strong one here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the only path of healing. And, and that's really the path that, that Scripture gives us, that if you have the opportunity, if you're the stronger believer, you're making way for the weaker believer or the non-believer. And, and all of the wives found that. Another one, her husband liked to hunt and fish and ignored her. And another one, it was... NASCAR events, which she just really didn't get and whatnot, but eventually they found their marriage was healed when they moved toward their husband. They weren't resentful. They said, okay, we can't share church and this together, so we'll just share the this together, and hopefully, eventually, he'll see, you know, the need to come to my side. And, you know, for one woman, it was over 20 years 
and that's why I can't wow. sell a book with this, Michael, right. because <laughs> if you tell somebody, have a new husband by your 30th <laughs> wedding anniversary is not going to, you know. I don't, I don't think Kevin so, Lehman's going to write that one either. <laughs> so, um, but it's, it's true to life in, in some women's stories, which is why I tell single women, faith is a bigger deal than you think. Don't compromise on marrying a man. And guys, don't compromise on marrying a woman who doesn't share your faith. You're, you're really choosing a hard road uphill in Houston humidity yeah. to walk when you do that. <laughs> yeah, you had to bring up the humidity, didn't you? Yeah, well, well, and, and Gary, I had a run today in ninety percent humidity. Oh, <laughs> I had a donut in ninety percent humidity, and I probably <laughs> felt the same way you did. <laughs> well, but Gary, I, I think what I really love about that example, particularly the woman uh, and with the husband who loves the bike, is that's really a living example of turning the other cheek. It it's, is. It's yeah. going, man. I wish you would do this thing, this involvement with Christ with me, which is so good. But hey, you're not willing to do that yet. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn the other cheek, or I'm gonna lay my life down. I'm gonna do this for you, and and it is. I mean, it's so hard to get people to understand that you got to be who you want your spouse to be. Do that, and it's the most attractive thing you could possibly do to actually get their attention to change in the right way. Right. If if your spouse isn't a Christian, you can't expect them to act like a Christian. Yeah. I mean, do we think that Jesus makes a difference in a life? I think he does. So I shouldn't fault somebody when they're filled with hatred and bitterness and they don't know Jesus. What else are they going to be filled with? Now, we know, look, we know some people that act very piously, and I don't mean that in a negative way. They're generally good people who don't know the Lord. So I'm not saying that, that yeah, nobody that doesn't know Christ doesn't act like a decent human being. But the reality is often as Christians, we expect people to respond like Christians are called to respond without having the Holy Spirit within them. And that's a denial of our faith. We're not into moralism and, and ancient Greek ethics. We're into the Holy Spirit transforming us from within. So if your spouse is less mature, if your spouse isn't a believer, then the Bible is clear. You should have compassion for them and understanding and pray that the, the root cause the lack of connection with God will change and not try to force the symptoms because, you know, ultimately you deal with the cause and the symptoms will follow. Well, now that you brought it up, we'll have to have you back on the show to do an entire episode <laughs> just on ancient Greek moralism. What was it? I've already even forgotten what well, you said. Well, I'm just thinking Aristotelian <laughs> ethics, you know, what you should do because Aristotle says it, which is you know, it's it's fine to talk about ethics, but the problem for a lot of us is we know what we should do. The problem is doing what we know. Right. It is. Well, Gary, I cannot thank you enough for such an incredibly insightful, uh, you have brought depth and intelligence to this goofy little show. <laughs> that it's never had before. I know. You, you've probably, now I'm going to have to harass you more to come on the podcast as you know just maybe when you're jogging or doing something <laughs> you can call in all right <laughs> but thank, well, thank you. you for having me yeah thank I you i really so appreciate much. what you're doing michael i think the uh the intensives were a huge gap in marriage ministry in the church for a long time and um i was just thrilled to have a place and since you're not so far away just as a pastor yeah i, I can't tell you how how grateful i am when i can pass a couple off and, and know 
they're going to get great care. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. So don't forget, you can download the Reignite Your Marriage app right here on this podcast episodes page at smalleyinstitute.com. And while you're there, check out our online library of courses. They're really good. And we have hours and hours of video from our very best series, all designed to help you build a better relationship today. Smalley Marriage Radio is brought to you by the Smalley Institute. If your marriage is on life support, reignite your relationship in only two days. Find out more online at smalleyinstitute.com or call us toll free at 888-565-6462. From a storm in me, haunted by the specters that we had to see. Yeah, I wanted to be the melody above the noise, above the Till the tears run down from my eyes, Lord, somebody, ooh, somebody, can anybody find me somebody to love? Alexa, play hits from Queen. Okay. Somebody to love. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.